Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations at the intersection of church, culture, theology, and doxology, in the same spirit as the conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. If you like the types of conversations we've been having, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe. Connect with us on social media at Carissa Turner and the J. Kevin Turner, and send us your thoughts, questions, experiences, and suggestions for future topics to moderncloister at gmail.com. I'm Carissa, and we're so glad that you joined us for today's episode. I recently had the pleasure of hosting Todd Haynes and Natasha Kennedy for a conversation here in the Modern Cloister. Todd is an editor at Lexham Press, and Natasha is a freelance illustrator, and together they form the foundation for the publishing house's newest children's book series called the Fat Cat Series, which is aimed at making family discipleship and the practice of catechism, the teaching of children and new believers in the essential texts of the faith, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer, accessible. There are already three books on the market in the series with more to come, and we have personally found these books to be both beautifully written and illustrated. We've already been using them in our own family rhythms of worship and discipleship and are excited to talk with both of them today and hopefully encourage you to explore ways that these may make it into your own family rhythms as well. Hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone to the Modern Cloister. I am so delighted to be welcoming two amazing individuals to our show today to talk about some really exciting um, books for kids that help teach the the deep theological truths of the gospel to our kids in a really accessible way. And I have here with me Todd Haynes, who is the editor of the Fat Cat series, and also the author of the Christmas version of the book that's come out, and also Natasha Kennedy, who is the uh, amazing illustrator who has brought to life these books as well. Todd and Natasha, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> Good to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and get started. I know some of the people who are listening may have never heard of this series before. And after they listen to this, I want them to basically run out and buy all of these books because <laughs> our family has been enjoying them so much over the past um, couple of months that we've had the Apostles' Creed version. But even in the recent weeks, having gotten our hands on the other ones, And I'd love to start by having you guys talk a little bit about the story behind the creation of this series. So why this series, um, why these books and why now? (laughs) Yeah. Tasha, do you want to say anything? Do you want me to start? (laughs) I feel like you should start us off, Todd. It was all your idea. (laughs) In a way, (laughs) it's my idea. Um, But my idea wouldn't matter much without the art. Um, (laughs) So the, the story here is that Lexham has a passion for bringing back what's called the catechism. And by catechism, we mean just the text of the Ten Commandments, I think Exodus 20, the Lord's Prayer, so Matthew 6, and the Apostles' Creed. Um, and we're trying to bring that back in all sorts of ways. And part of that is because three generations of Americans have largely been uncatechized. These are great ancient tools that the church has had for basically forever. I, could, um, I mean, there's a you can get into some reception history about the Apostles' Creed, but we have some version of something like this for, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so Lexham is wanting to help bring back these tools for parents and for parishioners and for pastors. And so we've done that in some other formats. We have the Christian Essentials. Uh, well, so for example, well, that's not a good example. This is a new one, <laughs> but the Christian Essentials. So these are 
books aimed for normal lay folks trying to just explain word by word um, each part of these these pieces. So for a long time, we wanted to do this with kids as well to try to find uh, to help parents have words and to excite the biblical imagination of children. So that here's something that they can take these small words and then access the great big story of the Bible. Here are these paths. Mm -hmm. And so we, we started with the Apostles' Creed in part because uh, of some sort of messaging with Ben Myers. He's a, a very generative mind. And so he quickly came up with some really amazing text. Um, trying to think if I'm leaving anything out. Maybe, Tasha, if you want to take it from there about art. <laughs> yeah we felt like art was a pretty big part of bringing the truths to kids because even before before kids can read they're they're looking and engaging with these things um and so we kind of thought like let's keep this as as basic and foundational as possible and and we kind of geared the art um in a direction where we just did all of the life of christ um and so when we did the first book with Ben, like, uh, like Todd said, we kind of, we were kind of just like feeling our way out. Like if we, if we did a catechism book for kids, like what would it look like? Um, and I, I kind of just drew this illustration of, uh, Pontius Pilate, like as a test and Todd showed it to Ben and he kind of just immediately wrote out the text that you see on that page. And it was just like perfect. And it was so beautiful. Um, and that was kind of like that kind of started to be the the kind of um blueprint for how we how we did the book I don't, I don't know would you say that Todd Yeah I think that's good yeah that was so just in in summary what we're trying to do here is excite biblical imagination with the art that Tasha does and so she's blending together some some pieces of iconography but then also early disney was something we talked a lot about mm-hmm. uh, Ivan Earl in particular and then yeah, the, the the words that we're trying to do is to bring the very Bible to children. So, and, and to help parents then piggyback on this. So these mm-hmm. books, there are a lot of tools in these books. Uh, you do have the very, you have the very words of the catechism. You have somebody explaining the catechism. You can pray for your kids. At the front, there's a prayer for children. In back, you can pray with your children. There are passages to, to go through these things if Maybe the Apostles' Creed feels funny to some some American Christians. And so instead, they can go and look in the back. Just look at the pictures and then say, hey, here are the Bible passages that Tasha looked at and considered while she tried to depict this scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a great overview of it. And I, um, I I'm looking at one of the books now. And I'm actually looking at the Lord's Prayer book, which we've been going through and and actually probably for our listeners, I'm not sure that we should probably list what all the books are that are currently out as we aim for what's coming, but there is one on the apostles creed. There is one for the Lord's prayer. And then there's one called the King of Christmas, which just came out, um, which is not specifically a, a catechism itself, but is a story pointing toward the, the coming of Christ and the, the Bible story of, you know, of, of Christmas. And then one that we were just talking about before we started recording about Easter that's going to be coming out. And based on what you're saying, it sounds like there will likely be one on the Ten Commandments. Am I right in mm-hmm. assuming that at some point? Okay. Yeah, the um, text is, we just finished. underway. Okay. Tasha's thinking about the art. Okay. I'm working wonderful, on it. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. We'll have to have a little, a little sneak peek of that if, if we can, maybe. Um, but um, so, so those are, are the books that are, are so far either out or underway. Um, 
But for those who are, are listening and can't um, and aren't, aren't seeing this visually on video, one of the things that I have found so compelling about the even the, the layout of the book and the way that you guys have done this is being able to take line by line these these truths within in, you know, in the Lord's Prayer and, and the, um, the Apostles Creed and be able to on each page have what that is and then with all of that commentary, with some supporting text around it and all the references is just beautiful. And yet it's done in a really approachable way, which is really engaging the kids. And one of those things that's really engaging is the fat cat. Is it, is it a boy or is it a girl? <laughs> cat himself. Um, we do normally refer cat, to him as a boy. Fat but... cat itself. Um, and, and I'd love to know um, in thinking of how to bring the practice of catechism um, to the modern church, how did how did Fat Cat role evolve and come to life as you guys were doing that? And how has it how's it kind of shaped how you've approached the book? I'd love to dive into that because it seems like a really new approach to, to bringing this to life for kids and their families. So I'd love to hear about that. Thank you for going back to that. That's the place we really should <laughs> that Tasha and I should have began. Um, it's funny after last week, we were, I was at a conference in Denver. And so I felt like every conversation I had, I was explaining this book. And so it's this funny thing of where. You're like, well, I've said this so many times, but anyway, new, new context. So I need to, to go back to the, the speech. So what is Fat Cat? Fat Cat, we created this critter as a way to inter- introduce catechism because the word catechism is itself scary. This isn't a word that people use anymore, mm-hmm. but there's not really a replacement for it either because we're specifically talking about this content, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Catechism can also be a method of instruction, of question and answer, but we didn't want to try to go find some cinnamon, cinnamon. And so um, there's a little bit of a funny bit about why it's this fat cat, but, but the symbolism behind those words is cat for catechism, fat, because you're not going to get to the end of these things. These texts are, there's enough meat there for the rest of your life. Um, so I'm, I'm a Luther scholar. That's my other shtick. And Luther said, I, I can take one part of the catechism. I'll take the first commandment, which he would usually in preaching say, I'm the Lord, your God. Mm-hmm. I can think about this. I just get through one word, I, and I'll spend a whole hour. And then I need to go to work. And to, to get through the entire 10 commandments would require more than a lifetime. So fat cat is hidden throughout all these pages. And he's this little icon of the catechism, trying to draw children's attention to what's going on in the scene. And a personal side of this is that my wife and I had a very fat cat uh, when we got, we bought him when we got married. And uh, he, he died at about the time that this story was being, this, all this was coming, yeah, becoming firm. And Tasha had gotten a real kick out of seeing this. He was a very large cat. Uh, (laughs) I still feel bad about it, but um, (laughs) So there was a picture of him eating out of his bowl with this little gray kitten that Tasha and her husband had given us. And she had drawn this very forlorn picture of this fat cat. <laughs> and then it put wings on him and eventually just iterated on this until you see the, the cute, sweet cat that's in these books. But that's his, the origin is from this very silly fat cat that we had named Earl. Um, so like squirrel, but without SQ. Love it. <laughs> but Tasha, were there things that you would add there about what is fat cat? Yeah, yeah. We 
Yeah, it, it started as kind of like a tribute to Earl. Um, and there was this like video that Todd sent us of his toddler son, like trying to trying to pick him up. And he's like, ah, like, <laughs> like pulling as hard as he can. And he's like crying because he can't pick up the cat. Mm-hmm. And we're like, ah, it's like the catechism. It's too, too much to even lift, you know. We kind of were like, um, just joking around about how we could make that work. And like, we could totally turn this into a catechism character, just a character that represents the catechism, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we, that draw that first drawing I did of Earl just kind of like evolved into a very simplistic, you know, the cat you see in the books. Um, in fact, you can kind of see a little bit of his artwork changing throughout the books. Like I would say at Apostles Creed, you know, he's, he's, he's fat cat, but he's not quite there in the rest of the books. It's like, okay, he's been branded now. Like I know exactly how to draw, you know? Um, but that's that's how he started um we actually made this funny little animation of of jesus like trying to pick up fat cat and then he's like lifts him up in the air and is triumphant we're like jesus can lift fat cat <laughs> yeah and that was tasha's husband Lindsay, had made the point we were worried that this would that people internally at the company would think it's too silly mm. uh, and tasha's husband had just made the great point of no it's it's perfect it's approachable mm-hmm. it's it's not too far out there, but it's friendly. Uh, and so it's something for folks to grab, grab to. There was some criticism also early that, um, very friendly criticism, that we didn't hide the cat hard enough in Apostles' Creed. <laughs> so Tasha has worked very hard okay. to make him harder to find in some of these other things. And in Christmas and Easter, there are other things to find as well. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that about the Christmas one. Um, but but funny enough, I I could see that being a very true thing because in the Apostles' Creed, and that's the one that we had first in our house, our kids loved going through it, in particular our daughter who I've mentioned, and she loved finding the cat. And then when we got the Lord's Prayer one the other day, we did have a, a, a much more tough time finding the cat. And so there were a, there was a page or two where we really, it took us a minute to find the cat. And then we, we felt so victorious when we finally did. We were like, oh, there it is, you know. But it's, um, it's, it's been to to your point of making it approachable. I've seen it in action in our own household and being able to see it being an engaging, fun way to, to keep kids and, you know, engaged and enjoying the the process of going through all that. And I'd love to, I'd love to, to not transition entirely some of the conversation, but focus in a little bit on this, this growing idea of family worship and discipleship. Not that it's a new one. It's been around for centuries, but um, in our circles and our churches and people we talk with and, and, and just Christian circles that I, I hear about and read about, it seems like there's really this renewed focus on the place of that within households. And it's something that that we, my husband and I have been really um, focused on doing with our kids for the past several years. But even as we've gotten in little bits of it, we'll do like one or two things. And then we have another idea here. And so we're adding and tweaking and refining some of it. But one of the first things that we did, and this was years ago with our daughter, when she was maybe three, three and a half and really started being able to, to talk in full sentences and all of that, we started teaching her the Lord's prayer. And so now years later, um, she knows it by heart and she has for years. Um, and we say each night before dinner and we have, we have twin boys who are now right around the same age that she was when we started teaching her. And so now they have learned it. And so each night we, we say this together, but one of the cool things that this book has offered us is that even though we've been doing this for years together and we occasionally you know, talk to her about what pieces of it means, this, this book has given us this systematic approach to go through time and time again in giving some more of the context and background behind each of the sentences that's part of that. And it's really just been a lovely extension of some of what we've been doing. 
And all of that is really to say, I, I would love to hear your your perspectives on what you guys are seeing um, out in the church. And, and is that a trend that you're seeing elsewhere? How are you seeing these meet that need? And what does that look like in your own families? I know you're both um, families of kids. And so I would just love to hear you guys talk some of that too. Yeah. Um, well, so kids, that's an opportunity when people come back and there's sort of a renew, there are all these touch points in a person's life where church becomes more of a possibility or something that we're more invested in and having kids is one of those points. And that's especially true with our own generation. Um, I, I see it very much with millennials that we weren't very well catechized and there's maybe sort of a going away from the church because of certain embarrassments over certain sorts of scandals or I, I don't know that sort of stuff. It, but there's something about kids that gravitates back like, Hey, this, this was a family that wasn't my family that expanded who I am, et cetera. This is a time to come back. But then there's this great fear of how do I teach my kids the faith? I'm rediscovering these things. I'm going back through. And so there's this great anxiety often. And even if that's not your situation, just growing up as a Christian, we want to have all the answers. <laughs> we want to be able to answer our kids' questions. But kids don't always ask questions that it's not going to be very fruitful to answer, or they are asking questions that it's like, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. That is a mystery. And it's important to say that, say that with them. So family worship is something that people are interested in, but I find as with many things in church, people really want to be told what to do. They want an example. And many American Protestants have been raised with this idea of sort of spontaneity as the most genuine thing. And not that spontaneity is a bad thing, but with prayer and Bible reading, there is something to be said for a plan and for the liturgy. These words that have been thought through, these words that have been called from the Bible and that order our own lives and words. And so we, in these books, we had wanted to, have that be a part of what, of what we're doing. And that's something that Lexham Press in general is interested in, especially in the last few years, uh, is to put prayers in books. Mm -hmm. Because uh, prayers are the, those are the things that really change us and, and change the world. Um, and so these, these little books, they have that in the back as well. And so part of that was taking the structure of the normal daily office, the historic daily office, giving some Psalms, Psalm verses, for kids to sort of latch on to. So Psalm 100 verse five is especially dear to me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm spacing out on it. I need it, the, the Lord is good. Oh, Love is endures forever. Thank you. And yeah. uh, so there's several repetitions of that to just try to get mm. this in little kids heads that the yeah. Lord is good. His love endures forever. Yeah. Uh, and then we're giving some opportunities, just small structure. I think it would take two or three minutes to go through. Mm-hmm. So saying the Apostles' Creed or saying the Our Father together, leaving a spot to invite children to pray. And something I find with children is that if you ask them, what do you want to pray about? They don't necessarily have answers. So we gave some cues. Um, there are questions in there. The things that I use with my own children are I say, what do you want to say? I thank you, God. What do you want to say? I wonder, God. What do you want to say? I ask you, God. And it's remarkable how much children just want to thank God and about all sorts of, you know, today, what was it? 
Transformers and Legos and Christmas trees. Those were the things that my kids wanted to say thanks for. When I was a kid, um, church kind of looked down on that. It was like, let's be serious. Hmm. But those are gifts. They, they're silly, small things. But of course, kids can say thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm kind of going back and forth where w- what we did in this book is we're trying to give people some structure to help in their own lives. And then I'm seeing in a lot of conversations that I have, people want to do this stuff with their kids, but they're not really sure how to start. Mm-hmm. And so just giving them a script and saying, defend five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, and try to have lots of repetition. Give them the same psalm, then start building some choices. Uh, kids love that stuff. Right? I mean, they absolutely, they absolutely love it. And their little minds are just made to memorize things. Um, so that's something, sorry, I should, I should hand this over to, to Tasha. But one last thought was we see this with like the classical education model. Kids want to memorize things. And there's something with church where we resist that, mm-hmm. where we're like, oh, let's not squash their creativity. But no, they want to say the same thing. They want to memorize Psalm 100 and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. They delight in it. And so work with them to do it. I love that. that. Natasha, what about you? Yeah, I, yeah, very much building off what Todd was saying. I feel like I was the kind of evangelical raised Christian, really rich faith. But when it came to like teach wanting to catechize my kids and, and teach them foundations of the faith just felt very daunting. And, and it was almost like, you know, um, you know, after studying theology, you're, you're always like trying to figure out what's my doctrinal statement. What do I believe about this or that? And, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to teach my kids? What stance am I going to teach them on, on hell or this or that, you know? And it actually became very, simple when I realized and learned that the catechism was originally just these three things and that what I could give my kids is a foundation to build on, you know, um, because all those things come later. And I mean, man, my, my theological stances like change all the time based on what I'm studying or reading. And, and that's, that's fine. But as long as I know I can teach my kids these solid foundations, it becomes very simple. And, like Todd said, it's just been so cool to see how quickly and easily my kids have latched on to these things. Um, especially like when I started working on Apostles' Creed and the kids were watching me draw every day, um, they just wanted to memorize it so bad. And they memorize it so quickly. Um, and and they want to look at the pictures and, and say it over and over again. Um, and same with the Lord's Prayer. Like that's just become something that... Um, you know, my oldest daughter, when, whenever we go to take communion at church, she, um, I always would see her at the kneeler, you know, praying. And I finally asked her one day, like, what do you pray when you take communion? She's like, oh, I just pray the Lord's prayer. Cause that's, that's what I know. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's like, you're putting these tools in your kid's pocket that they can always just confidently use. Um, I, I love being given these given words to pray. Um, I feel like that's, that's been really powerful for me and, and for the kids. Um, and I really like the the way we've done the fat cap books because I feel like there's layers to how you can use that with your kids. Like for my kids that don't read at all, like I have a, a one and a half year old and she, you know, <laughs> she's like, 
not really saying very much, but she looks through the books and just points at every fat cat and says, meow, meow, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, already there's like pictures she can engage with. She can becoming familiar and listening while the other kids read it. Um, And then you have just the lines of the catechism, like just our father who art in heaven, you know, it's like you, you don't even have to read the text. You can, you can just read those words and just read them over and over again. Um, and then the commentary like lets you go deeper and gives you questions to ask and and things to ponder about. Um, and then you can like go to the back and, and look at all the passages that we, that we thought up and used to like put this together. You know, I just feel like there's a lot of ways to it's, it can be simple and, and deep it can kind of be whatever you want. Yeah. Well, that, that's actually a really great segue into the next question that I'm really excited to ask both of you. And it's, it's a similar question, but with a different focus. So for Todd, it's going to be a little bit more on, on the writing pieces of this book, both from an, an editor's standpoint, as you worked with the writers who wrote the text for the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, but then also how you approached the King of Christmas. Well, not one of the original catechism pieces, something that was designed to complement this Um and then Natasha, for you, it's from more of a design perspective, but how, how did you approach trying to capture these deep theological truths in either the writing or in the illustration while also making them accessible? I mean, it's a really big task and it could probably feel quite overwhelming to bring it to a level that could be understood and really held onto tightly by a kid. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tasha, do you want to start with about art? Oh, sure. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, Go for it. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I feel like the art was very, obviously very much like following after the, the text and what, what Todd would, would bring to me or what the authors would, would write. Um, but we, we tended to start with like a, a meeting where we talked about the vision and, and um, looking at things from a zoomed out perspective and um, we would storyboard, we'd do these quick gestures and, and um, like d- discuss like what, what pages, um, like what uh, stories from Christ's life we wanted to use to represent each point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would uh, kind of like, yeah, start very zoomed out and then get zoomed in. And I would do just quick pencil drawings for Todd and send them over and he'd be like, oh, add this or maybe focus on that or um yeah, am I getting too much into the weeds here? <laughs> no, this, this is fascinating. I I, I love hearing about the, about the storyboarding. Were there any particular were there any particular um, pieces of any of them that were particularly challenging to encounter? Like a, a line or two that was like, "Wow, what are we really going to do with this to help it really land well and be understood?" Yeah, um, like I feel like <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like every commandment. Oh my gosh, the Ten Commandments that we're working on right now is so hard. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, you were going to say though. Yeah. As far as like books that you can actually look at and read right now. Um, I would say, I mean, like doing this at all, like you said, it's really like it's work I do almost like with fear and trembling because I'm like kids learn so much visually. So if, if we're drawing theological truths or like foundational truths for their faith, um, that's like so scary. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm saying enough and not saying too much, you know, um, so definitely some of the, some of the spreads that like felt daunting, you know, obviously in Apostles Creed, things like the descent into hell um, or Jesus judging the living and the dead. Um, those ones I really kind of was like, ah. um, oh, you know what? The first picture I had to draw that I just like 
hated and to this day just don't even like is the um god the father because i'm like how do you draw the invisible god well you don't Mm -hmm. um and todd's like well you know you can draw the wings of the cherubim and you can you know the stew the throne and 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 maybe i'm just like i i don't know how to you know it was like it was so frustrating to do that first because i'm like give me a person to draw you know give me give Mm -hmm. me something you know it's not you know it's like it's like yeah anyway I could go on and on about that well, I, yeah I could see that one in particular being, yeah. <laughs> I just skip past that page whenever I read the book I'm like oh. <laughs> well, <and that's, laughs> the living of the dead that was one that was the last piece oh, yeah. of artwork in the creed if I remember mm. um yeah we were having a hard time mapping it to what an image was mm. and some of that was anxiety about the way that people would interpret whatever we chose to do so one of the things that I think the art helped us settle on is that we are teaching children, but we also are preaching. And so there's certain things when you preach that you're, you're after more. And so these, all of these books, the big goal of the fat cat books is that we give kids the gospel. This isn't just moralism. That was one of the great difficulties with the 10 commandments mm-hmm. is how do you talk about these things that this is the description of the good life. But how do you do it with promise? And so that's what some of these other things did. And some of the stories lend themselves much easier to stories of great promise. Uh, like, for example, I find the picture of the woman being forgiven by Jesus in John 8 in um, the forgiveness of sins in the creed. It's really pretty. It's really beautiful. It's a touching moment. Um, but yeah, the, the judgment of the living and the dead, where's the promise in that? And so we went through some back and forth about an initial version. I don't even think there were pictures of people. We had animals. Yeah. <laughs> animals. It was like sheep and goats. Yeah. And, and it just really wasn't working. And what I ended up leaning back on when we were talking about this was Martin Luther, whenever he preached that passage about the sheep and the goats or the coming judgment, what he latched on to is that the last day is like summer. And so summer is something people love. You look forward to summer. The trees come out, uh, the leaves come out on the trees. The fruit is now ready to eat. Everybody loves summer. So who wouldn't love the last day? Here comes Jesus and he comes to judge, but we're already judged in him. And so Tasha ended up capturing that really beautifully with this line of people coming up to see Jesus to greet him and he shows here are the wounds these are my judgments for you (laughs) and i mean it's so incredibly awesome like i'm so pleased with where it ended up but that was a really funny piece of art because so many of the others were depicting an exact story from the bible and this Mm -hmm. was really kind of trying to creatively imagine something that we could justify biblically uh so that was like with that Initially, there were some some reform types that had looked at this and they were kind of concerned about that. And I gave them the justification with Luther. And then it was funny because a week later, somebody sent like they sent they they were reading Calvin on the same passage. Hmm. And Calvin says something very similar to Luther. This is given as a comfort for believers. This is not meant to make people feel bad. This Hmm. is a promise and comfort to you. So. um yeah, that was 
And, and the process has kind of shifted. That was where the creed, we started with the art. Yeah, we picked these passages and started with the art and then the words kind of fit in afterward. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. Okay. With, <laughs> that, that was just, it wasn't an intentional thing. It was just yeah. kind of what happened. Um, the creative process is a mystery sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so since then, we've really tried to go, starting with where we all come together, we pick a passage, then we try to write words. Mm-hmm. And we try to get the words really tight so that Tasha can sort of, I'm saying spew forth art is what comes forth, but that's that's not very beautiful. <laughs> but that it just kind of generates out of her. It's a lot easier rather yeah. than her having to think where where are the boundary lines? What am I going to cut off? Yeah. This way the words are doing that for her. And then usually there's some level of revision when we put the words on the page with the art that we see things aren't necessarily working or that we need more of a tie-in so that people understand what passage this is. The passages all need to be, as Ben Myers had said, they need to be stereotypical in mm-hmm. a certain sense so that people look at them and they don't have any doubt. So like the hardest one so far that we've done in that case is thy kingdom come yeah. in the Lord's prayer, which is the Johannine Pentecost. Um, so Jesus breathing the spirit onto the disciples. That was the trickiest one because I don't, expect people to just know off the cuff like oh this isn't this isn't just any pentecost this is that pentecost Mm. so tasha did that really lovely with the with art you know having the the dove in the form of wind um yeah so now we've we've tried to shift to supporting tasha by having these words ahead of time yeah but yeah sorry oh no no it's good uh so that's each author has their own sort of strengths and differences. And so it's just, that has been interesting where working on a children's book is different than working on an adult book where you're really raking people with an adult book. There's all sorts of things to like, let go where you're really pushing someone just to do the best that they can. And in a lot of ways, editing is like grading with a kid's book. There's this really practical and high ideal of meeting a child so that they that you're giving them concrete personal words that are not abstractions (laughs) but then are also something that they can grow into so that's like Hal Sankbile that did the Lord's Prayer he talks about that with sometimes you buy your kids clothes that are a little big that they can grow into and that's what we want with these words we don't want kids to grow out of these words Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some of these things in the Lord's Prayer um, and in the Ten Commandments, I have no doubt that they're going to go over the heads of kids, but they are going to hit parents right in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I think they'll kind of come back to some of those things. Um, yeah, so that was just constant. Each of these, we really had to do one thing. And each piece of the catechism has its own difficulties. So like the Apostles' Creed is, is a story. It's a history. It's the history of histories. And so that makes certain things a lot easier that people mm-hmm. get really excited about. The Lord's Prayer, you don't just want to explain it because it's a prayer. You want people to pray it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was a, a unique difficulty there. How do we draw one thing that people will have questions about, but then make sure they're praying? And so that was where we introduced this structure. Also explaining, because we went with the traditional English wording that's found in the Book of Common Prayer of 1549. That that's what 
most people use that version, mm -hmm. uh, but we have all these modern versions. So the beginning is Lord teach us to pray. And then we said those words in modern words. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, there's this set formula, our father, you love us just like you love Jesus. And then some prayer based on this thing so that parents also can adapt to this. You could just read that beginning part. I mean, mm -hmm. Child, you don't know what, uh, you know, what's thy, I don't know, but here we'll say it in normal English. And you can just go to the very end with the, the prayer. And the 10 commandments has something similar. Um, the, the prayer, the invocation might change, but it's something like my God, you take my sin and give me life in Jesus. Help me, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that way is trying to acknowledge that the 10 commandments does draw out the sin in our lives. But that there's good news. The God who gave us the Ten Commandments is the God who died for us and gives us life. The King of Easter and the King of Christmas is, are quite different projects. So those, are, what they're trying to do is, if you know the catechism really well, what does it look like to read the Bible? What does it look like to tell people the story of the Bible? And that's like what Tasha was saying about giving her children these words. These are things that as the children grow, they will use these to interpret their own lives, other people's lives, and uh, and the Bible. The, sort of an aside, my dear friend Ethan McCarthy, who's an editor at IVP, when he last watched Inside Out with his children, I think it's Inside Out, yeah, Inside Out, his daughter was like, did uh, the mom break the sixth commandment? when she was thinking about the Brazilian yoga instructor, <laughs> the sixth commandment, do not commit adultery. And he's like, yeah, she, she did. She did. But it's just interesting to see the way that children bring these up. So the King of Christmas and the King of Easter are asking very specific questions. The King of Christmas is where do we find God? And the King of Easter is what does God do when he finds us? And so the, the, the text there is super duper patterned. It's to be predictable, to be as tight as possible. And then also to give some of those things that people see like, oh, that's the passage you're talking about. That's what's going on. So, but they're both very patterned. The King of Christmas is the Magi and Fat Cat are going and looking for Jesus because in Matthew 2, the Magi call Jesus the King of the Jews. The only other person that does that is Pilate. So right there, when they ask, where's the King of the Jews? You know this baby is going to die. Like, that's where the story goes. And so that's where King of Christmas goes. It, it has them looking, is Jesus in the star, in the sky where the stars are? Is Jesus in the water where the fish are? Is he in the field with the beasts? No, he's not in any of these places. Is he where the, the rich are? Or the thrones of the mighty? Is he where the soldiers wait? Is he in the market where people sell stuff? No, he's not there. He's not even where the scribes are. He's in the manger. That's where we find Jesus. And then it keeps going. Mm -hmm. We find him on the cross where criminals die. We don't find him in the empty tomb where they put his body. We find him in the word where he promises to be found. So then that sort of reinterprets all those other things. Mm -hmm. And then the king of Easter is is taking the Zacchaeus story. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. And it's just taking, that is that is the Easter story in Zacchaeus' life. And so it's taking all these people that Jesus meets and just asking that question. So there the goal was to match 
different sorts of people. So people like the Virgin Mary. Does she need to be saved? Yeah, she does. Even though she's she believed the angels were. And she was saved. And then we have people like Saul, later named Paul, who's killing Jesus' friends. Does Jesus save even him? Yeah, it does. So those stories are doing something very different, much more patterned, which made it easier and harder at once. Well, it's just lovely. And, and I can't speak for the, the Easter book. I haven't seen it, but I'm excited for it. But the, uh, the King of Christmas has, has been a lovely addition to our, our Advent times together okay. as a family. And we've really enjoyed reading it. And it's, um, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very easy and fun read. And I, I love, even as you said, like the Magi and Fat Cat go looking for Jesus. It's just a funny pairing. But again, it speaks to, it's, it speaks to the accessibility of it and bringing it to kids. And, um, and the pattern is, um, I'm a big fan of repetition. And I, to, to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier as we were speaking, I, I think we're afraid of repetition, um, but you can see the power of it in something like this story because it's, it, it sits with you and it lands and it stays because you can, it's predictable and you know where it's going, but it still builds and it has a, it has a satisfaction as it builds that you, when you finally get there, it, it just drives home the point a lot. And it's, it's really lovely in that. And so we've appreciated it already in just a few, um, you know, a couple of days and um, into Advent that we've been, we've been making it a regular appearance and it's been lovely. Um, well, I have, was, did you oh, find yeah. all the, sorry, did I was going to say there are all these things to find in both of those books. Well, I, no, I didn't realize that there were more than simply the fat cat in that one. So now I think I have something to do tonight with my kids. Yeah, <laughs> we, we probably need to do a better job of that on the, the Christmas book, the, the Easter book. I can show it in the video people hearing will just have to take my word for it but we we learned some things so in the easter book oh there's a guide what you're finding oh we have find jesus and his friends and so these are all the people that jesus finds Mm -hmm. and then there's some animals too that join so there's wormy the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly uh knock knock the woodpecker focat the raccoon and fudge the goat and so in christmas you have Somebody from each spread, whether an animal or a person, joins okay. the mad giant fat cat. And they put something on the uh, chubby wise men's camel. Oh, okay. Well, I will definitely look for it when we read this again now. Thank you for the insider's <laughs> tip. I feel like all of our listeners are going to have this fun insider <laughs> tip now. From this. <laughs> um, okay. Last question for, for both of you. And it's more of a personal one as, as we close our time. I would love to know, how has being part of this project shaped your faith? Hmm. Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great okay. question. Give you a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it just makes things more concrete and real in a lot of ways. That's where um, I have a PhD in historical theology. And so I spent a lot of life studying things and arguing about things that as in arguing as one of our authors john kleinig has pointed out it doesn't do a lot it doesn't necessarily change people's minds and it doesn't necessarily do great things for me as a person uh, it makes me look for the worst in others and the worst in their arguments and this project has helped me think about a- acknowledging all the good that other people have the the good that i have to learn from someone else and the good that children have to teach me and part of that is they teach me the very content, 
but some of it too is this posture. Um, so for, for example, there's a, there's a collect in the Book of Common Prayer for parents to pray for their children. Um, I'm not going to remember it word for word. The way that I pray it is something like, Our Heavenly Father, you have given us the joy and care of children. I say my children's names. You've given us the joy and care of Franklin and Milo. Grant us calm strength and patient wisdom that we might teach them to love whatever is just, true, and good according to the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I add in there that I would see my children according to the word that God has placed over them. In their baptism, they're his children. But also, they're my children. And that means I shouldn't exasperate them and that I should love them. And I want them to see me according to the words that God has placed over me in baptism. I'm God's child too, but also I'm their parent. So they need to see the fourth commandment when they look at me. Remember, er, honor your parents. Um, so those are some of the things that I I think it's drawn out. And, and a piece of that too is it kills nuance to a certain extent. There are all these things in the academic guild and in arguments that you want to fine tune and say just right. But with kids and with normal people, people are just trying to make it day to day. And so to say that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, that needs to be enough. And that is enough. And that's what I think these books come back to again and again, is that the Bible interprets us. And I've seen that in some super powerful ways that it draws out our emotions, draws out what we think. Natasha, what do you think? (laughs) That's that's great. That's very powerful. Thank you for sharing. Natasha, what about you? Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, Jesus saying like, you have to be like a child to come into the kingdom of heaven. I feel like that this has been a huge thing for my faith, actually, kind of bringing myself back to the basics and going through it with my kids and um, like drawing Jesus expressions and being forced to, I mean, there's like pages, you know, like in the Lord's prayer where Jesus is actually um, dead on the page, you know, being forced to like bring out emotion of the people who are crucifying him or accusing him. Um, and like, it just makes you connect in a very different way. You know, I've, I've heard friends of mine who um, do icon painting. They say it's, it's very, it's a very prayerful and meditative process. It's not just art. Um, and I'm not painting icons, but I'm definitely like meditating on what I'm doing. I'll, I'll have times where I'm sitting down and drawing for 10 hours, thinking about just one, one moment in Jesus life. And I'm, it's just really powerful. Um, and I would say like, it's, it's been a really cool time for me to, to be working on these books with the last two years, because I've gone through some pretty big health stuff. And, um, that's been really hard to wrestle with in my, in my faith. And so working on these kids books, actually quite a few of them, like (laughs) have been illustrated in a hospital, you know, just being this really like simple thing to come back to while I'm facing something so big, Um, you know, the page where Jesus is in the desert, um, being tempted. Uh, I drew that when I was in the hospital, um, and I wasn't able to eat. And, um, and it was so amazing just sitting there drawing a picture of Jesus, um, fasting and being ministered to and being content and provided for in the Lord's word. Um, and so it's just these pictures have flavored such a, like, 
kind of intense but beautiful part of my life. Um, so it's really special to me. This project's very, very special to me. Um, yeah, it's been a very big part of my faith. Thank you. That's a that's a vivid picture to have of how some of the pages were created. It's uh there's always stories behind the stories of the people who are helping shape some of that. And uh, I appreciate both of you sharing some of that. Um, I really do. Well, thank you both so much for your time. As we close, I'm sure that many of our listeners are going to want to go grab some copies. So tell us where people can go find out more about Fat Cat and all the books and where they can get them and more about either of you too. Yeah, you can find them wherever books are sold, as they say. So you can get it on Amazon. You can also leximpress.com slash Fat Cat. Uh, you can find it all there. And right now, Christian Book also is having a pretty big, I think it's all this week. They're doing like a cyber deal. So it's something like 40% off, I think all of their books. So that would be a good spot. And then if you want to do um, a bulk buy, say, say you're a pastor, and you want to do these things for your families, you could always email editor at lexampress.com okay. to, to get in on that, where there's some sort of deal for, okay. I don't know, more than 10 books, say. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, good. And and are, are you both are on social media, yes. So if people can find you, Mm-hmm. on different places Todd Haynes Natasha Kennedy just your regular handles on all things yeah so yeah. I'm on Twitter at, at Haynes underscore Todd and Tasha's in many places. yeah Natasha Kennedy but the Y is a U Natasha uh-huh. Kennedy <laughs> okay. wonderful we'll, we'll make sure to put all of those in the show notes as well so they're easy access and linkable and all of that good stuff for all of our listeners too so uh, Todd, Natasha, thank you again so much for joining us here at the Modern Cloister. It's been such a joy and honor to talk with you and to learn more about the, the story behind how these books were created. And I hope to be talking with you again at some point in the future when the, um, when the Ten Commandments one comes out. So good luck with all the rest of that as you head toward that. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, it was really right. fun to be here with you, Chris. Oh, good. Well, we'll have you guys on again soon. Thank you so much.